Hey everybody, welcome to Video Night. We're going to be celebrating the 40th anniversary of the Star Trek film series. We're going to break it up over four episodes, so we're going to be doing the first three movies in this episode. I'm your host, Michael, and my guest this week is John. Uh, how's it going, everybody? I'm John. Do you know I never say his last name because I have no idea how to pronounce it, or if he wants me to say it. Björling. <laughs> Björling. It's a nice, wonderful, yeah, Björling. Very... Very Swedish last night. Okay, I didn't so know. it doesn't surprise me why. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me why anyone ever wants to try and say it. Yeah, I was I was assuming that you don't say the J, but I was like, well, what if you do? And it's bajorling, and I was like, I what if I fuck that up? And I'm not going to. So, <laughs> um, so quickly, we're gonna just do kind of not really a speed run, but just like hit on all the important points of the first three Star Trek movies. And I've always had a problem with uh, the first movie. The motion picture, um, I say it's it's beautiful, but it's boring. And I know people who love it, and I'm just like, ah, oh, it's, it's so much work to get through. Well, that's the thing is, Star Trek The Motion Picture really, really, really wishes it was 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> and it shouldn't. Who's the director on this one again? It's Robert Wise. Okay, I feel like Robert Wise, God, this is, this is wrong of me to say, but it's the only thing I can equate it to. He's basically masturbating while he's looking at the Enterprise. It's just these low, long, oh. sexual shots. It's kind of like the way it was in Superman Returns, where Brian Singer, the long, slow shot to Superman up in the sky. Yeah, we got it. You love it. Can you, can you stop, please? Well, yeah. It, that right there is definitely Trekkie porn. Or, I'm sorry, Trekker porn. Yeah. Let's, I love that music, though. The My God, the music, looks, the music's so phenomenal, and it looks great. And the special effects still hold up after all this time. And it's just... I wish it just moved faster. Well, yeah, and that's that's the biggest thing is this film. It's it is uh, well, you had Star Wars uh, that came out, and you had this big Flash Gordon esque thing, and Trek was never that. As much as there were fights and things like that in in Star Trek, it was a little more heady. There was a yeah, little more... it was more. It wasn't so much uh, fantasy sci fi. It was more hard sci fi. Yeah, and so. Gene Roddenberry definitely leaned into into that, but then again, this was also the scrap, essentially the scrapped pilot for Star Trek Phase Two, which was going to be their second, the new TV series that they had. You know, it's like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and all these other films kind of re, you know, reenthuses the idea of science fiction. And so, hey, let's do another Star Trek show, and then it just kind of collapsed in on itself. Uh, there's many, if you really want to follow about that, because it's a pretty fascinating story in and of itself, you know, take a look online. It, it's worth it's worth a read to find out about Phase 2. Yeah, well, so Phase 2 came pilot. after the cartoon, correct? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, cause this, what was it, like 75? It was supposed to launch. They just couldn't get it going. Then all of a sudden Star Wars hits and everybody's crazy for it, which is weird if you think about the fact that this movie was so incredibly expensive. It was four times the cost, or no, maybe two times the cost of Star Wars. How were you able to achieve that on television? It just they must have just expanded and expanded and just really upped their budget for special effects. Oh yeah, this this was definitely as it it's they took what was essentially going to be in the pilot episode and made it big. Yeah. And it I mean it shows they there's a lot of stuff in you know, in this film that, you know, you can see the money. Yeah. Well, did you see the but director's they, cut where they did it like 20 years later and they added all the CGI of Spock walking? I was like, oh, that looks like shit. Oh yeah, yeah. They, it's it's also they kind of they gave essentially gave uh, Robert Wise a chance to fix kind of what they did with uh, Star Wars. 
you can fix your movie. No, no, and stop that, it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't doesn't always work that way. Yeah, let's see, most of the time it seems like it's bullshit. Like, they just fuck it up or it sticks out like a sore thumb. You're like, oh, that technology does not mix with this movie at all. But one of the funny things I, I was looking at about this was, you know, like the, the V'ger model itself where, you know, Spock's going through it. Apparently, that model was so huge, it took so long to complete, that they basically just kept, they basically kept shooting on it while it was still being built. Okay. <laughs> so like, basically kind of start from the back end of it and went forward. So they're basically, all that sequence where Spock is going forward is actually, well, I don't want to say it was shot backwards, but it was pieced together backwards. Okay. Yeah, so it's the just... end of it first, and then... What I like about the fact is that they, they took the team apart and that there's a new captain of the, the Enterprise and you're trying to get the old school team back together and then there's that tension between Stephen Collins and William Shatner of who really runs this ship. That was really interesting And when it comes to the characters. it's And, and I know the plot's real sci-fi. Like, they really did a good job of like, well, if this is possible, how are we going to do it? And I was just like, I don't have the patience for this shit. Can you give me the fun stuff? Yeah, that's, that's the biggest problem. And, but there's things in here that are kind of entertaining if you look at it in certain ways like uh we have uh our our uh science officer uh Ilya, the uh bald chick i can't think of versus her, kombata her, uh, they, yes i love saying she, that name uh, yeah like the second well they, they introduce her as being delta which doesn't mean a damn thing to any of us be, unless you really know anything about star trek because i had to look this up but apparently, Deltons produce strong pheromones, which sexually arouse anyone around them. So when I'm watching this first, I just, you know, she gets introduced, and I just see uh, Walter Koenig have this shit-eating grin on his face when she shows up. <laughs> I'm just thinking, damn, Chekhov has a total hard-on for bald chicks. And, uh, which is ironic, because he's out. bald. <laughs> but then you get that, uh, you know, I get that revelation, then I'm like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense, that also explains a line that's like she has a there's a line about her having a, 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 a vow of celibacy or something like that okay so it's like i didn't notice the line but it's like i guess it's in there i'm thinking you know that could have been cut out <laughs> that's extraneous information that doesn't play to anything Let's let's start taking those scissors to this two and a half hour film. <laughs> Please, I just yeah, I just walk away. The funny thing is, it really isn't much of a villain. It's it's Viger, but it's on a science expedition. It's not exactly you know like Khan or the Klingons, which become crucial crucial to the rest of the series. So it's kind of interesting that they went kind of higher minded with it. Like there's like, well, let's not give them an obvious campy villain. Let's let's go in a different direction. Yeah. It's like Viger is a death cloud. It does kill things. Yeah, but it's but, not it's not really a nemesis though in the same way. Yeah. It doesn't well it has and it also it does have a it does threaten us. But yeah, it's not it isn't a villain it doesn't have a villainous intent at the outright. It just wants what it it just wants its uh to be its creator and fulfill its purpose. And you know, yeah, it's like it's it'll destroy the infestation to get to its creator because obviously it's a it's now a sentient machine. Yeah. Because it's it was the Voyager six spacecraft come back home after getting sentience, and you know what are these little carbon based you know what's this infestation all over over this planet? You know, what I was thinking is this movie was pretty successful. I think it made like seventy nine million dollars off a thirty million dollar budget. 
if it had come out a few years later, I don't think it would have worked, but we were like Star Wars crazy. And you look at some of the movies that were successful and should not have been any successful whatsoever. Like Star Crash, which is a ridiculous Italian ripoff of Star Wars. And uh, that was successful. And then we had the Buck Rogers, uh, mind you, a pilot for a TV series, which was in theaters in May. And then it became a series in September. We're talking like a $3 million movie that made like, I think, $24 million. So we were crazy for anything sci-fi space-wise. And I don't think Star Trek would have launched as well if it had just come out maybe two years later. Well, that's even the thing is it financially did all right, but it did do well is yeah. the thing. Well, then not what they expected, it, and I think the critics were kind of bummed. So I was looking into the budget for Wrath of Khan. So you went from 30 to $11 million because yeah, they, they reused they all the sets. Yeah, and that's, I think, why – Partially, why Star Trek Two is such a better film is because they didn't have the budget to you know to waste anything. Right, they really cut the fat, made it lean and mean, and it just moves. And that's also one of the things is it's also a and I guess from this point on as well, uh, it's also the most Gene Roddenberry less Star Trek of all time because Roddenberry was kind of a pain in the ass during Trek uh, the motion picture. He was, you know, rewrites and this and that and all this crap. And you, it's like, you know what? You're not worth it. You could be a consultant. Oh, you want more control? Eh, then we're just not going to talk to you. Right? Isn't Harv Bennett that took over with part two? Yeah. And then, uh, and so, yeah. I'm trying to remember, who directed part two? He did uh, part oh, six. That was Nicholas Meyer. Nicholas Meyer, who had done Time After Time, which is a highly underrated time travel movie. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he made uh, the pacing of a TV show. Um, but it doesn't look cheap. Uh, he just did a really good job with what he had. They saved a lot of money by reusing some of the special effects from the first movie. Um, and then, you know, the same sets, costumes. No, no, the costumes are new in this one. The costumes fucking suck in the first movie. That beige barf, I don't know what yeah. that is, lunch lady outfit? <laughs> yeah, they did a little the weird, like, little onesie uniforms that, yeah, they're just ugly. And yeah. now they kind of leaned, leaned a little more into the Navy-esque... Yeah, they look Way really good. The regal, and plus everybody's getting older, they're starting to get belly, so it, it makes it look a lot better, honestly. Now, there is there is a couple of interesting things about that, too, where, like, uh, the uh, at the end of this film, you know how you have uh, the little mind melt thing where uh, Spock does it to McCoy so he can uh, live forever, apparently? Yeah. That, that wasn't in the script. That wasn't even directed by uh, Nicholas Meyer. Just came out Art of nowhere? Harv Bennett apparently just kind of approached Leonard Nimoy at, at a point, and they kind of just kind of went behind everybody and shot and shot that just in case. Right. You know, because you know, part of the thing is Spock dies in this film, and that leaked. So they kind of, it was originally written, so at the beginning that uh, Spock would die early on, kind of like Psycho, you know? It's just shock you know holy crap we killed off a major character and then you know once they kind of i i'm assuming that they kind of retooled the kobayashi maru said at the beginning so that ha 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 spock dies at the beginning yeah i just so then i was just thinking like yeah i guess it was open-ended because he never really wanted to be spock anymore like they just kept paying him giving him like good benefits but he was like look guys i want to be out of this uh, kind of the way Charlton Heston was with uh, Planet of the Apes. Like, okay, I'll be in a little bit of it. You just cut me out at the, you know, kill me at the end. I'll blow up everything or something like that. 
And they're like, oh, shit, we need a loophole out of here just in case. And didn't he even put out a book called I Am Not Spock? Like, just totally annoyed by the whole thing. Yeah, and that's kind of that was part of why he wanted to die. He was that's what got him into this film was oh they're gonna kill me off okay cool I'm good with this yeah but and then, then of course to... <laughs> trick up like well if you direct the third one mm-hmm. well no part of it was he had a good time with uh, in filming this one so he kind of was like shit <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. but you know it's like yes you had you had a plot there that could be picked up later apparently shot but then one thing apparently that he did I'm. I'm assuming was also shot by Harv Bennett without anyone really noticing was the, uh, was the photon, was the photon torpedo tube with, you know, coffin at the end. Oh, of the right. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think, cause that was like a last minute shot too, where it's he first time that Nimoy saw that was in the premiere. He's like, so yeah, that's, you know, this is the this... very first movie that we ever rented on VHS. We got from the library. We had one of those top loading fucking heavy metal VCRs that weighed like 20 pounds. And I don't think there was a remote stuck to it, but you know, it was really, really early on. It was right after this came out. I want to say it was summer 83. Cause remember movies used to take forever to come out of video. Remember it wasn't like 90 days. Oh, it was yeah. like six months to a year. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's something kids, kids would never, never understand about quickly. Uh, media has media jumps out from uh, format to format yeah i mean back then they would re-release movies in theaters and not on video because they give milk it for some more money star wars took forever return of the jedi took forever. gremlins et i think et was the longest i think that was six years between its its release on uh in theaters and then onto video because they would release it every single uh spring break yeah now for in watching star trek 2 i did I did something I just for myself. I went back and watched the original episode. Okay, I, I didn't do that. Movie. I should have. Because well, it's like I, I've it's been a while since I've seen old Trek, and so it's, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of forget some details, and you know, it's like there is a continuity error between the two where you have, uh, Chekhov immediately recognized and being recognized by Khan, and Chekhov wasn't in season one. Oh, I didn't even know that. Son of a bitch. This yeah, is actually but, the movie that actually makes use uh, Chekhov useful for once, too. I was actually surprised. Like, oh, they actually gave him something to do. <laughs> yeah, and he's... Yeah, it's like the theory... You know, I, I was reading... Also following up on that, it's... Oh, yeah, he he was in, he was on the ship, of course. He was just some, you know, security officer who was helping out and actually did a good job during, the, during uh, Khan's attempted takeover that Kirk said... I'm going to give you a spot on the bridge. Okay, that makes that's a lot more understandable. Because it but does seem so strange like, that he would go from 0 to 60 when it comes to position, because you think that he would have some job and work his way up. Yeah, and with that, it's like, you know, you sit there and go, like, I call shenanigans. He wasn't on that episode. Because, again, watching him literally back-to-back, too. And I'm just like, no, no. that You have, you have MacGyvers, who uh, is referenced but not in the... Uh, in the show, who uh, was Khan's little uh, was the historian on the Enterprise, who decides that she wants to bone a 20th century man, and we call it seduced. We basically, I just kind of looked at it, and went, yeah, it's really seduced. He basically just looks hot, and she wants to bone him. <laughs> and, now, does he have the fake chest in uh, the TV show? I don't think he did. I, I've seen the episode before no. for a long time. No, he's he's not as ripped as he is in the movie, but. That's all him. That's not a fake chest. No, that's got to be fake. Look, look, 
Really? Because it, it looks, looks like... Hmm. No, everyone's everyone. Everything that I've read, everyone says that that is him. Okay, it's just the way they have the necklace place and the you know the the vest that he wears. You know, kind of blocks off. It's like, oh, I can see that's where they would put the makeup seams. And well, I don't remember him being that beefy on Fantasy Island. So, yeah, apparently it's like when he found out about that. That was one of the things where it's like, I had to do a lot of push-ups. <laughs> he he had he worked he worked his ass out, but yeah, he's cut, and that's. But, but that is fake hair, right? He he is a bald man, yep. correct? Okay. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that there is some. There, there's I, I don't believe that that is 1,000 percent his chest. Is everybody except for Sulu bald? <laughs> I feel like everybody's wearing a toupee. Shatter's toupee um, was, is always impressive now, but it looked like shit back then. It was like ridiculous. Like oh, it's way too high, way too high, way too thick. You got the Burt Reynolds. Although I will say this. Shatner, especially in this film, we don't give him enough credit for how good of actor he can be when he wants to be. You know, I actually didn't like this one for the longest time because I thought they were overacting. I was like, this is some cheesy shit. And then I realized on the last few, I was like, oh, it's Shakespeare in space. I didn't fucking get it before. Well, that's and that's also the thing. It's like that that final monologue he has where he's you know talking about Spock and it's you know the him breaking up and stuff like that. It's like part of you know you. Can, some people, if you're kind of cynical about things, and you're like, oh, yeah, he's just overacting. So it's like, no, this is a dude who's having to be, you know, maintain, you know, the stiff upper lip, as the British would say. Yeah. And this, and he's, you know, you can see him breaking at moments, and it's just that, that one, like, he was supposed human, you know, kind of thing where it's like, you see, you can actually go like, okay, Shatner's acting his ass off there. I mean, yes, we all, we all laugh at Khan. But, but there's he actually does some serious, some actual heavy lifting acting in this film. Whereas in other things, yeah, he's <laughs> TJ <he's> Hooker, <laughs> way, way too over the top and way too Shatner. Have you ever seen that show that he did, Rescue Nine One One? I never did. But yeah, one like thing it. I will, I will always go is if you really want to see a powerhouse of Shatner acting, watch uh, Boston Legal. Oh, okay. I was just thinking Rena, uh, Rescue 911 is one where he had to just narrate it. If you want to see terrible acting, watch the reenactments on Rescue 911. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He looks like the greatest actor of all time in comparison to these day players. Oh, man. The, um, this had really early CGI in it, too. I think only one other movie had used CGI, and that was Black Hole. So it was kind of like... How groundbreaking in the way that they did the textures back then. I mean, it looks ridiculous now, but I mean, it was a slow, slow progress with CGI. I think what did it go? Um, the first time we saw it was Black Hole, then Star Trek II, then uh, Last Starfighter, uh, Young Sherlock Holmes, Willow, and then all of a sudden you have Abyss, and Abyss changed everything. But it was well, a you really. Also, you also missed Tron in there, too. Oh, Tron. I'm an idiot. Tron. I forgot Tron. Yeah. How could I forget that? That's ridiculous. But yeah, it's just like, I don't know if this came out first or Tron, but it's just kind of interesting. Like, this is really early, and I guess they had bought something uh, from a company that was developing CGI. Like, they got it on the cheap for like $100,000 to use in the movie instead of spending a million dollars on it. Yeah, and it, well, it's like, even then, you go, like, it looks cheesy, but it's like, it's still fairly impressive for the time because they're taking a, you have very, no, you know, very obviously well-constructed moon little fire effects that go over it and then the creation of this planet and it's like the worst really the worst effect of that entire thing is when they're first kind of going over the, this rocky terrain yeah yeah it's a little it's a little little bad but 
you know, as things fill in, it's like, no, no, they, yeah. It's like, how mind-blowing that must have been. Like, I mean, when this came out, I was, you know, way too young to be able to understand or appreciate anything about this film. So uh, I can't imagine how mind-blowing seeing something like that really would have been. Yeah, because it wasn't, it wasn't something new to us. I mean, in the sense that this is a new technology. We're just like, oh, that's cool. But you know what, what's funny is that special effect holds up better than the giant ear wigs uh, that is clearly on a on a, a probably a four foot ear, <laughs> a giant plastic uh, well, ear. <laughs> the giant, the, the close up of the ear is terrible, yeah. but the the whole the idea of it, the uh, seeing the little and yes, it, yes, they're being pulled on a string. I know this, but just seeing the little things crawling up a guy, crawling up Chekhov's face and stuff like that just uh, oh yeah no it terrified me for years i wouldn't even clean my ears because i was terrified of things crawling into my head i was i don't know why i was i'm shocked i need to go to sleep with earmuffs on yeah this film still makes me afraid that in the night something is crawling into my ears i yeah sorry i'm laying my dog out (laughs) she's silly um yeah so that one that one still terrifies me um but it's it's the third one that is my favorite of the entire franchise, and I saw it as a triple feature at the drive-in with Ice Pirates and Last Starfighter, and I don't think I'm ever going to have a better triple feature. In fact, I don't think people do triple features anymore, so I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, well, especially you're saying drive-in. That's, yeah, that's I think even the worst thing. <laughs> yeah, that I think the only other triple feature I saw was uh, Eddie Murphy uh, with 48 Hours... Trading Places and Beverly Hills Cop, and I didn't even make it through 48 Hours because I was too young. I couldn't stay up that late. Oh, uh, man. That, that's a hell of a... That right, right there is a hell of a, of a set. Yeah. Well, it's like the longest day in the summer they could fit three... Or no, no. the short, It hadn't been the shortest because then you'd be watching movies till like 2 o'clock in the morning. So I don't know. But I was way too young to remember those. But yeah, I just... The three was like... It wasn't my first Star Trek. The first one was uh, uh, Wrath of Khan. I caught that on VHS. But I was hyped for three. And I enjoyed it in the theater, but what really stuck with me is my grandfather only owned, like, three tapes. Like, you know, pre-recorded, official studio releases, not taped off HBO. And one of them was Star Trek Three. And I would go over there, and there was hardly anything to watch. So it was Howard the Duck, <laughs> uh, Best of Times, with uh, Kurt Russell and Robin Williams, and uh, Star Trek Three. I think maybe The Natural, but there's no way I was going to watch that. <laughs> yeah, so I... Yes, your options were kind of limited, and makes sense. Yeah, I've seen Star Trek three like ninety times, and I absolutely adore it. And it still holds up. I know some people say, "Oh, the the odd ones are always the weakest one," and I'm like, "Nah, man, three's pretty rad." But otherwise, you're right. <laughs> cool. Well, no, I'll sit there. I will. I will go with that. I this is still of, with the exception of ten. Ten being the oddball out of that, of that theory. But we'll get when we get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that. Uh, this is a weaker thing, but it's nowhere near as bad as five or one. It's the the problem is, and I, once we get once we get to like watching some of these other ones, like four and six, and because I actually I, wa- I saw earlier today, I was actually watching some of uh, First Contact. So uh, it seems like the even number films are different are genre films like. Two is a submarine film. It's Dust Boat meets uh, meets uh, Moby Dick. I can see that. Yeah. So what would you equate three to then? 
three is three. Uh, it seems like the odd number ones seem to be the ones that are a little bit more, you know, Star Trek e sci-fi, because this deals with you know the Genesis planet and like this tie between uh, this Spock being reborn and aging faster as this planet kind of corrupt, uh, yeah. kind of falls to get falls apart. It's a little bit more sci-fi for the sci-fi's sake than it is necessarily any kind of genre, although I was also kind of going like, it is kind of a heist movie because they steal the Enterprise. So there is bits and pieces of, of stuff. Yeah, but... there's, there's Shakespearean stuff too in it. I feel like that's in a lot of the, the good ones is their Shakespeare elements. You know, Christopher Lloyd's the bad guy in this one. Is this the first one to introduce the Klingons with like the lobster heads and the really musty, uh, you know, fog filter kind of thing put into their ships where it was really like claustrophobic? No, that was actually that was the first one. That was the okay. first time we got got the lobster-headed uh, heavy metal guys. <laughs> the awesome Steven, we play metal. <laughs> oh, I do have I do from from Star Trek. I did take a note. Apparently, James Doohan, our good old Scotty, yeah, he was the one who actually created the Vulcan and Klingon uh, languages for Star Trek motion picture. No way, really? Yeah, Mark Mark Orkridge, who's oh, who's the guy who actually wrote the. Uh, the Klingon Dictionary developed lots of languages for lots of movies. He basically took those words and turned them into a language. That's pretty but, cool. You know, my grandfather uh, tried to, just in vain to convince me that there was two Scotties. And I was like, no, I think he just got fat. No, there's a different one. The first one died. He got replaced. Like, no, I think the first one just got fat. <laughs> That's it. The fat and yeah, a mustache. I will say this. I will say this. Anytime I see old Trek, now I can't. I don't see that as Scotty because I'm so used to old old Doohan from the movies. That's how I see him. Yeah, it throws you off though, because right? I can see where he would get confused because yeah. he's not like a movie hound, but he didn't die. He just put on weight. Yeah, but I'm waiting that beard. Yeah, the uh, the kid uh, who plays his son again. He's the one that was um, Merrick Butrick from Square Pegs. Yeah, man, that guy was really good. And it's really sad that he died so young. He he died of HIV, and his final film, I believe, was Fright Night 2. And there's something very unusual about his acting style. And he had a really good future ahead of him. It's just really sad that he died so young. I think he died at 29 of HIV. Something like that, yeah. 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 Way, way too young. Oh, I forgot we, re- we replaced. Kirstie Alley was in the first one. She gets replaced by Robin Curtis. Yeah. And that was just because Kirstie Alley didn't want to be typecast. Yeah, I thought it was because she got cast in Runaway and she wasn't able to do it. But if you look, uh, Runaway looks like it was filmed about six months after Star Trek. So you're you're probably right. She doesn't want to because that was the curse of Star Trek, just like the way it is with Superman. If you're in those, and maybe even James Bond, you're in those, you're stuck in that role forever. Now let me see. Did you catch uh, Miguel Ferrer? Yes, I did in the very beginning. Correct. Yeah. Uh, not in the beginning, but yeah, he's he's early on the film on the Excelsior. I I'm sitting there looking at that, and it was like this: the first time you see him, it's just like a little side shot. I'm like, wait a minute, is that? And I just open up, you know, do my little internet search, IMDb. Holy shit, it is! <laughs> you know, this is a really interesting period for Christopher Lloyd too, because he wasn't known for sci-fi. It just wasn't his thing. He had been a couple westerns, and he had been on Taxi. But then all of a sudden, he does this. He does Buckaroo Banzai, and then the next year, he does. Uh, Back to the Future, and now he's just like so much of his career is like fantasy and sci-fi. Yeah, and he is a lot of fun. Oh, I do have to say this about about the Klingons though. 
the makeup in both this and the first film is terrible. It's considering what we see later on on Next Generation. Yeah, which is a TV these, show on a much smaller budget, but I guess yeah, they figured it out by then. Yeah, they these just look horrible. Everybody is it's like the most obvious appliances. Yeah, well, it's also Christopher Lloyd looks like a Fu Manchu just with a lobster head. It's just kind of hard not to notice. Like, mm, is he just playing an Asian character? <laughs> Modified. And one, and apparently one of the uh, Klingons is John Larroquette. I, I've heard that, that, but I can't see I, it. I don't see it, and I don't hear it. But apparently, yeah, the, the guy who lives at the end is John Larroquette. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so I, originally, I guess the plan, you know, is to try to do, you know, three, four, uh, two, three, four, because it's a trilogy, but trying to cut up the episodes properly, plus uh, we didn't plan for doing part four yet. So I apologize, we're kind of cutting it short here. Um, so I guess that's it of the trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say before we go? Well, I, one of the things I, I will also say against three is that it turns Vulcans into immortals, because... It's like, oh yeah, we just pull our soul out of our body, stick it in someone else, or we can anyway, because they kind of like, oh, this is uncommon, but yeah. we can pull our soul out, stick it in someone else, die, and then you just pop our pop our soul back in our body. <laughs> okay. I'm like, what the fuck? Come on. What um, what was the other thing? Oh, you know, one thing I noticed about two and three is it it was kind of gory. Like, there's these gross monsters that are testing the level of special effects. This is back when PG movies were like, oh in today's day that might almost be r i mean he he, he takes his fingers and squishes that that gross disgusting like leech thing yeah and he's and, got a giant multi tentacle around his yeah. neck and he just squeezes it and i was like that was the heyday you know that was like you could do a pg movie with blood and gore and sometimes even a little bit of nudity and then all of a sudden pg-13 comes around you know a couple months later with red dawn and everything changed yeah these definitely are these were films that definitely had a lot. I think two is also the most violent of all the Star Trek films up, up until like maybe first contact. Yeah. At least. It's just, it's, it was a surprise and it's just, uh, I guess it's indicative of the era because people are like, well, we got these special effects. People are letting us do scary things. I mean, I think if I remember correctly, Poltergeist is PG and it's yeah. just kind of funny because none of that would fly down. Oh, hell no. No, that's that. If it wasn't an R rated film, it, you know, it would squeak by with yeah. the fact that Beastmaster is PG shocks me every day. Like, huh? There's nudity and there's uh, blood and guts. Kid gets sacrificed. Yeah, in the, the 80s was a weird era. Yeah. The ending of Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's still mind-boggling. That was PG. Kids, faces melting off. PG. Gore and everything. Um, so that's it for this episode. We'll be back probably in a couple weeks uh, to do the second chunk of the original cast and uh check us out on facebook under video night and twitter under retro rock entertainment and uh anything you want to say before we go uh keep watching the stars everybody all right everybody have a good night <laughs>